Let's all go ahead and find our seats. All right, we there? Break it up, guys. Break it up. You in the back. Knock it off. Stop fellowshipping. Uh, how awesome was worship this morning? Let's, let's thank Martin for being here. Yeah. And I'll have you know, the team just kind of, they get up here and rehearse like an hour before service. So they, they, this isn't like a band that's been jamming for months, right? So they did a great job this morning. I was really blessed to be able to sit down and just, uh, to just worship with these guys. I was really, really uh, touched by that time. So as you can see, Pastor Tom has the morning off. He's taken this weekend off to spend time with his wife, his, his mother-in-law as well. And we just hope and pray that they are having a refreshing time uh, where they are. And he's graciously asked me to bring the Word of God this morning. If you are visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you. It's our hope and prayer that God would really speak to you uh, here at Calvary Chapel. One of the things you should know about us is that uh, in fact, one of the things that distinguishes us is that we love to go verse by verse through the entire Bible. I remember as a young Christian just discovering Calvary Chapel ministry, that style, just feeling really fed and excited even to go through books of the Bible with good teachers. And so that's kind of something you can expect here as Pastor Tom comes back. We'll go verse by verse. Today, however, is an exception. We're going to look at a subject today. We're going to bounce around and do more of a topical thing. And I'm so excited for the subject that God's put on my heart to share with you guys because I really do believe it's pertinent. I really believe it's a word that we need to be reminded of uh, today with, with the climate that is around us uh, right now, spiritually, you know, geopolitically, and all that. So with that said, let's go ahead and pray for our, our study. Father, we do thank you for just the blessing and privilege of being a part of a church family. Lord, this is how you've designed it, that we would gather together with other believers, that we would all corporately worship you and, and sing and, and praise you, and that you move in the midst of that. You've also designed it, Lord, that we would look to the scriptures, that we would keep the doctrines of the faith. Uh, the doctrines of the apostles, and we would regularly look at them. And Lord, we uh, ask right now, as you've told us, for the Holy Spirit, that he would be our instructor, Lord God. As we look to the scriptures, you would give us understanding that our hearts would be soft and open to receive the word of encouragement that you have uh, placed before us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the title of today's message is The Blessed Hope. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn there as well as 1 Corinthians 15. And if you need a Bible, this gentleman is up here. He's going to hook you up with a real live Bible. No batteries needed. If you uh, like to use your cell phone, though, that's totally fine. We won't judge you and think you're on Facebook or something if you're schooling, unless you're like this. We know you're not reading the Bible that fast. Come on. All right. But uh, that's totally okay, too, to use your phones. So, uh... 1 Corinthians 4, put your thumb there. First, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, what if I were to tell you guys, there is coming a day when millions of people will shoot up into the sky and be taken from the earth. Now, a lot of you know what I'm already talking about. Some of you might be thinking, this dude is crazy. What? He's watched a little too much sci-fi, right? Margaret, grab your purse. We're running for the door. You know, don't don't run away just yet. All right. Just just if your name's Margaret, I'm sorry. I just threw that name out there. I wasn't wasn't attacking Margaret. If there is a Margaret in here, um, just hear me out on this. Yes, I do believe that uh, there is a literal event that the church calls the rapture, whereby God 
will snatch away his church prior to a seven-year tribulation period. That we will fly up into the clouds and be with Jesus in the air. And no, I don't believe it just because of Nicolas Cage's stellar performance in 2014's uh, Left Behind movie. I actually haven't seen the movie yet, so I can't comment one way or the other. Uh, and no, I don't believe it because of Tim LaHaye's novels, although I do like Tim LaHaye. He's a really sweet man. Um, I believe this, guys, because it's clearly in the Bible. And I, you'll see that this morning as we look at these texts today. It's something written, clear, and plain. Uh, and as we talk about the rapture today, it will serve one purpose in that it will help us all understand where we are doctrinally as a church. As a Calvary Chapel, this is where we are. And if you're into, you know, feeling out church theology, Calvary Chapel, these are some big words, uh, but we are a dispensationalist church, premillennialist, basically. That's where we stand because we believe that is the most biblical uh, stance to take. So, yes, it kind of does cover that base. You get to feel where we're at doctrinally. But more important than that, guys, the more important reason we're talking about this today is for two words. Blessed hope. The Bible calls the rapture a day of blessed hope. And, guys, we need blessed hope and reminded of blessed hope right now more than ever before. Things look really bleak in our nation, in our world. Wickedness is celebrated. Lies are prevailing. And not just lies like circulating through adults. People are, are going straight to our children with lies, to raise them up in lies. And in a lot of ways, they're succeeding. Things are scary right now. Doom and gloom is on the horizon. You follow, you know, the, the rumors of wars, as Jesus calls them, and if things are seem pretty heated in this day and age. Doom and gloom is in a lot of pulpits. We can kind of get down on those doom and gloom preachers, but hey, Jesus was a doom and gloom preacher too. You know, and uh, it's being preached regularly these days, and I think it does weigh heavy on a lot of hearts. The thought of this horrible time coming upon the planet uh, and, and what that might look like. It's no wonder why the Bible says that men's hearts will fail them for fear in the last days. People will have lots of heart problems as things get crazier and crazier on earth. Jesus, as I said, preached doom and gloom. If you look to, to Luke 21, at the end of his sermon, uh, his doom and gloom message about judgment in the last days, you know what he says to the church? He says, look out, because the Antichrist is coming to get you. No, he didn't say that, actually. He, he actually said, look out, because these 75-pound hailstones are going to crash down. And God's really just trying to hit the wicked, but like he's not the best aim, and he might accidentally hit you, so watch. No, he didn't say that either. Jesus didn't say, watch out, at all. He didn't say, look out. You know what he said? He said, look up. In fact, he said specifically, when you see these things beginning to happen, when you see the start of these things, look up, because that's your day of redemption. Look up, for your redemption draws near is what Jesus said. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 tells us that as believers, as Christians, we should all be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we should be looking for. As things get crazy, we look for the appearance of Jesus. For our blessed, That is what our blessed hope is. So what I want to do today, guys, is I want to shift our focus from all the current events all the chaos around us, and I want us all to corporately just look up. Go ahead, look up. No, I'm just kidding. We're going we're gonna to look up to this hope of Jesus Christ as we await the return of Jesus. Uh, and we're going to see four reasons, if you're taking notes, four reasons why the rapture is the day of blessed hope. Number one, it's the day of our resurrection. 
Number two, the rapture is the day of our completion as Christians. Thirdly, it's the day of our deliverance. I love that one. And then lastly, it is the day of our heavenly entrance. That's the best one, in my opinion. And my hope, guys, is that as we leave here today after this Sunday service, that we would all leave a little less perplexed about the events around us, and we would all leave a lot more excited about our hope of heaven. That is why we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about today. So before we do get into these texts that speak of the rapture, I do want to take some time, just a brief moment really, to offer a few responses to some common arguments that come against the doctrine of the rapture. And I'm surprised because a lot of them aren't very strong arguments, and yet they typically they continue to be perpetuated. Um, the first one that is is thrown out there from other flavors of, of Christianity. Uh, by the way, side note, the rap, doctrine of the rapture is not an essential doctrine. If, if you don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, that's okay. You'll be surprised when it happens. <laughs> but, you're still, but you're still going to heaven, right? It's, we don't have to divide over these issues, uh, even though that, this is where Calvary Chapel stands on this. But there are some flavors of Christianity Say, hey, you know, the rapture is just allegory. It's, just, it's, it's not a literal event where people fly into the sky. Come on. You know, that's a fiction movie. There's a, there's a logical fallacy called the incredulity fallacy. And it happens all the time in society where people say something isn't true just because it sounds crazy. But just because something's crazy doesn't mean it's not true. And, and the non-believing world uses this all the time with the Bible. You really believe in a global flood? And Noah and the ark and that giraffe with his head sticking out of the window. Well, I don't know the giraffe was out of the window, but uh, yes, that's a literal event. You really believe in a literal virgin birth or literal resurrection? Yeah, I do, because the Bible says it. Just because something sounds crazy doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah, the rapture sounds crazy, but I stand by it because the Bible says it it is a true literal event. Um, Many people suffer in, in the church uh, from a condition. It's a horrible, horrible condition. It's called allegoritis. Do you know what that is? It's the inflammation of allegory. And you pick up their Bibles and it's all swollen and inflamed with, in, with allegories. Oh, dude, you should probably get some medication for that, that there. That's, that's looking pretty bad. See, there's a, there's a stigma with taking the Bible literally to non-believers and to certain Christians. They'll say, well, you know, I, I think it's dangerous to take the Bible literally. I think it's even more dangerous to over-allegorize. For instance, how is it that so many Christians believe that hell is not real? Oh, well, it's just allegory. How is it that so many believers uh, have, have no issue with millions and millions of years of death and suffering prior to a sin, and yet they still think, and, and think evolution is compatible with biblical doctrine? Well, oh, that's because Genesis, oh, you're just uneducated. Genesis is poetry. It's just allegory. Oh, oh, okay. All right. You sure about that? I don't think that lines up. How is it that so many believers come to the conclusion that God actually hates Israel as a nation? God is done with them. No. All the promises for Israel is for the church. How on earth do you come to that conclusion? Oh, Israel's just allegory. It's this inflamed Bible full of allegoritis, and it's not healthy. And, and, and so just because, just because the Bible uh, presents this seemingly discreditable event it doesn't mean it's not true and it doesn't mean it's allegory and then the third argument that comes around all the time i've been hearing it a lot lately and that is oh the rapture is a new doctrine you know it's only a couple hundred years old and someone had this crazy vision and and i think it was demonic and and you you might be taking the mark of the beast if you believe in the rapture not sure just just throwing that out there to, to make you ponder 
No, it's not. The doctrine of the church is not, it was not invented in the 1800s. For one, as, we, as I read these texts to you, it's pretty clear that these, there's no, you don't have to read into them a whole lot to come up with this idea of the rapture because they're plain and clear in the text. Therefore, the rapture, the doctrine of the rapture is as old or older than the New Testament itself. But it also doesn't take a whole lot of digging to find early church fathers referencing this event. A lot of the reformers talked about this event prior to the 1800s. So it's really a matter of just people doing their research and not recirculating these arguments that don't hold a lot of weight. So there is, there is arguments against the rapture, but they don't really stand up when you, when you actually look at them. So God has clearly placed this doctrine in the Bible because he wants us to know about it. He wants us to look forward to it. So let's check it out. First Thessalonians chapter 4. A little bit of background here. The Thessalonians were taught early on to look for the return of Jesus in their lifetime. And they took it very seriously. Paul took it seriously. Paul, as, you, as we read the verbiage, you'll see Paul expected Jesus to return in his lifetime as well. And by the way, let's not be too critical of the previous generations who really believed the Lord was coming back in their lifetime. I know people criticize Chuck Smith for this. Well, you know, he would say Jesus is coming back in his lifetime. You know what he was doing? He was believing exactly what the Bible told him to believe. Yeah, did the Lord come back? No. But God wants us, every generation, to look for the blessed hope. Every generation is instructed in Scripture, as we'll see, to to understand it is imminent, the return of Jesus, and it could happen at within your lifetime, and that you ought to live as though it will happen during your lifetime. So let's not get down on them too hard. The Apostle Paul here, though, he's addressing a doctrine, a heresy that's been circulating that the resurrection is not real. There is no resurrection. The Sadducees believed this back in those days, and it had swept through the church. And thus, in turn, if you died before Christ's return, too bad for you, you missed the kingdom. You missed it. You missed the glory. And Paul is writing to assure them that their loved ones had, had not missed it. That even death itself would not keep them from the kingdom of Christ. Verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. He says, Well, pump the brakes, guys, on your grief. Yes, we grieve. We mourn for those who we lost who are loved ones. But you ought not to grieve as those who have no hope. The people, the world out there, when they face death, man, all they have is like, Poems about butterflies and happy thoughts and wishful thinking, and it doesn't go very deep. I've been to some memorial services, uh, secular memorial services, and it's sad. There's not a ton of hope. But in Jesus Christ, we have a certain hope beyond the grave. And so Paul says, guys, listen, there is a resurrection. We mourn, but not as those who have no hope. So I'm writing this to you so that you will have hope. For, this, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This isn't my thoughts, my opinions, Paul says. This isn't something that I just kind of came up with, some crazy vision. He says, this is the word of the Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says that we who are alive and remain, who? We, Paul thought it was going to be him. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So even if we're alive at that time, we don't get a head start. 
We don't get like a front row seat and like our dead loved ones, they, they, you know, have to see it after the fact. He's like, no, 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 we don't precede those who have died. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So actually they get the head start. I mean, it's not much. It's quick. It's a quick event, but so they won't have much to brag about. But they'll get to get to Jesus just slightly before us if we're alive during this time. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, we shall be caught up in the clouds. Harpazo is the Greek is the Greek word. It means to be caught up, to be snatched up physically. It's not an emotional thing. It's not a figure of speech. Uh, as some as some who allegorize it say, oh, you know, when Jesus returns, we'll be we'll be caught away emotionally like, oh, that song. I was just so caught up in that song. Oh, I got lost in his eyes. I was just caught up in the blueness of his eyes. No, it's like it's not, it's not an emotional thing like that at all. It's a physical snatching away like someone grabs you from your back collar and yanks you up out of out of the pit. Right. Harpazo. The, the Latin word is raptura. So people who say, well, the rapture is not in the Bible. It is if you're reading the Latin version. Uh, but also, that's another bad argument, by the way. Trinity is not in your Bible, the word. Bible is not in your Bible. Doesn't mean we don't believe those things, right? But it's right here. We, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, the best part, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul says, hey, what I'm telling you now, recirculate this. Tell everyone about this because it brings comfort. This event, this incredible event. Now, before we get any further into this doctrine, I do. I, I feel like I need to clear the air because there's something that I know is on everybody's minds, and that is when we're raptured, will we be ripped out of our clothes and fly up naked? Come on, I know, I know that's what you were thinking just now. You're just like stressing about it. And I'm sorry, I, I don't have any definitive answer one way or the other. I lean towards no, that we'll have our clothes on. Elijah, when he was caught up, it didn't say his robe fell out of the sky. So I'm guessing no. Enoch, we don't really know much about. Philip, he was caught away to Azotus, and it, he, it didn't say he had to find clothes you know, when he got to Azotus. So I'm guessing no. But I have two words of advice for you in the event of either what happens? So in, in, the, in the event that we are snatched out of our clothes, just make sure you're always wearing clean underwear. OK, I mean, because I mean, how embarrassing, right? Would that be right? Get to know Jim a little more. Oh, Jim's pile of clothes. Wow. Uh, he wasn't very cleanly. In the event that we do go up in the clothes that we're wearing into heaven, wearing your last set of clothes to heaven. OK, in that event, just never wear Kansas City Chiefs paraphernalia. You know, uh, that's it. No, this is from a brother. I speak this in love. Because God is a Packers fan. And, and you don't want to offend the Lord. Come on, guys. I'm just trying to help you out. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not charging me with torches right now. Off with his head. No, as I was preparing this message on the rapture, though, uh, it was really interesting this last week because CNN released an article after I decided to speak on the subject. CNN released an article. They're like, what's Sean talking about this week? Okay, we're going we're gonna to release this. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they, they released an article about the anxiety of rapture, the rapture doctrine. Uh, the Christian Post did a, did a response article to it, and this is what their headline said. It said, CNN warns of rapture anxiety, claims ex-Christians struggle with trauma 
over end times teaching. It's interesting. It's after I was laughing, I felt really sad about it. It's like, man, that is, and that is so contrary to what the rapture is supposed to be. You know, I mean, if you really want to know spiritual abuse, just go to an Islamic country for a little while. You'll you'll see spiritual abuse. But CNN is actually now pushing this as spiritual abuse. Like, hey, if if your church preaches the rapture, you're contributing to the anxiety of society. That fanatical teaching uh, is creating anxiety in people and it's spiritual abuse. That that was basically what the article was alluding to. And it's heartbreaking because it's, it's taking the testimony of those who have deconstructed, those who have walked away from the Lord, saying, yeah, I used to wake up with nightmares thinking Jesus was going to snatch me out of my bed. And it's like, if that was your thought of Jesus, you never knew Jesus. And it's, it's heartbreaking because there's no way that these guys, where this is their testimony, it's no way that their experience of Christ was, uh, or Christianity was ever rooted in a relationship with their loving Savior. The rapture is not something to be afraid of. It's going to be the most amazing event. It might be a little, you might get butterflies like a roller coaster really quick, but it's going to be so incredible, guys. And we're going to see how that is uh, to be the blessed hope and not something, a source of anxiety. Paul, as he's writing this passage, his, his purpose for writing it was not to bring anxiety, but to alleviate it. He wrote them to bring hope, to bring comfort. And so the first reason it's a day of hope, guys, is, is it's the day of resurrection. It's the day when death uh, has to give up the dead. Physical bodies bursting from the ground. The bodies of every believer will burst from the grave. And if we're alive to see this crazy event, we'll get to skip the grave altogether. You, you'll, your, your tombstone will remain empty. You know, that, that grave, that plot will remain empty. And you get to skip that mess altogether which is an amazing thing. I think it was Ruth Graham who said of her grave, she said, that's not my resting place. She said, that's my launching pad. <laughs> I love that. I love that idea that this, this place where you lay my body or my ashes will become a hole in the ground one day as my body raises from the dead to be with the Lord. Paul describes the same event in 1 Corinthians 15, only instead of writing to comfort about loved ones who have passed on, he writes here to explain that our present bodies, our corrupted bodies, cannot inherit uh, the holiness of God. It cannot inherit incorruption. He's explaining this principle that as, as celestial, corrupt, mortal bodies, they will be laid down like a seed in the ground. But they will be raised up terrestrial. Or no, no, yeah, it, they'll, they'll be laid down terrestrial. They'll be raised up celestial. This is the whole premise of, of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, that he's talking about. And he says, this is the rule, guys. This is, that's the rule. We die. We die. Our bodies are corrupt, and they're going to die, but we will be raised in glory. But then he says, there's an exception to this rule. There is an exception. He calls it a mystery, verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Nor does the corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, is what he's saying. But we shall all be changed. So when the dead put on incorruptible, the people who are alive, the Christians who are alive at that time, well, it just has to be, bam, in an instant. In a moment, it says, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound... 
and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And who? We shall be changed. In that moment, we shall be changed. So notice, guys, he speaks even beyond the fact that it's a physical resurrection. He says it's a resurrection whereby we are changed. Whereby our mortal will put on immortality. And that brings us to the second reason for the blessed hope. And that is, it is the day of our completion. The day of our completion. Philippians talks about this as well when it says that uh, Christ will continue his work in you until he brings it about to the day of completion. In the return of Jesus Christ. It's this day that he's referring to. You see, for the believer, guys, the appearance of Jesus is the blessed hope because that's the moment that we are completed in him. We are fully sanctified in the, just the appearance of Jesus. Listen to 1 John chapter 3. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God. Like We know this. We are God's kids. And it's, it's incredible to know this. He says, But it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We don't, we don't know what the end product of being God's kids is. What will that look like? We know it doesn't look like what it looks like now because we, we're susceptible to temptation and, and, and we get sick and, and we die. And this isn't what it's supposed to look like. He's like, I don't know what it will look like, but, he says, we will know when he is revealed. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John is saying, when we see Jesus, we will be perfected in him. 1 Corinthians 13 also speaks of this Amazing moment when it says in verse 10, when that which is perfect is come, when our perfection comes, then that which is in part will be done away with. The, the partial sanctification will be gone and our perfection will come in a moment, in this moment. Verse 12, he goes on, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Our present experience spiritually of, in our relationship with God and the revelation of God to us, it's dim. It's a revelation. It's better than anything this world has in the written word of God. But it's still kind of dim because we're susceptible to not seeing it clearly. We're susceptible to a lot of things that get in the way of us understanding who God is. He says, but then we will see face to face. We will see the Lord face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Isn't that incredible? We will know as thoroughly as we are known by God, we will know. That's an amazing thought. That when we see Jesus in his glory, guys, it will be such a powerful revelation of God that it will instantly refine us and forever change us into who we're supposed to be. That's exciting. Because the sanctification process is pretty rough, right? Like you suffer, you, you go through difficulties and trials. Like the best work that God does in us in our sanctification is typically like the, the worst times in life. It's difficult, but we get to go straight to the finished product at the resurrection, at the, at the day of the rapture. This makes sense, guys, because how are we being sanctified today? We are sanctified by the written word. Jesus prayed for us. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We are, we are growing spiritually by our exposure to God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit through that. So it makes sense that when our sanctification is complete, it is because we are, we are face to face with the living word of God, Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happens. And I am so looking forward to this day, guys, when we'll no longer be susceptible to temptation. 
we will no longer even have an ear for Satan's lies. We will no longer think that anything other than Jesus Christ will fulfill us. Isn't that a tired roller coaster to ride? Isn't, isn't that rat race? Don't you just want to get off of that rat race? And even as believers, we pursue things that aren't even necessarily bad, but we get this idea like, oh man, this is going to satisfy me. Man, this is going to really fulfill me. And it never does. It never does. But one day when we know, even as we are known, we're not going to be susceptible to those things anymore. We will be utterly and completely fulfilled in Christ in that day. And knowing as we are known, you will finally get it. When Jesus comes back and returns, it will be an instant understanding. All of the difficulties, all the, all the questions and doubts that you've had. The trials and tragedies that you experienced, the evil that prevailed around you. You will understand all of it in that moment. You don't understand it all now. I don't understand it all now. That must mean we don't need to understand it right now. We just need to trust. But listen to me. You will. You will understand the why of all the difficulties in that day. We will know even as we are known. And it's going to feel so amazing, guys. To finally be of one, truly of one heart and one mind with the Lord in that day. So it is the day of our resurrection It's the day of our completion. Thirdly, it's the day of our deliverance. Second Peter chapter two, verse nine, it says this. It says, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. In other words, God knows how to say these are the righteous and these are the wicked. And I will I will separate the wicked from the righteous as I enact wrath. And that's, that was actually the context of Second of Second Peter. He talks about Noah. He talks about Lot. In other words, guys, when, when God was going to pour out his wrath on the world with a global flood, he did not pour out his wrath on the righteous, but delivered them. When God was going to finally judge, ultimately judge Sodom and Gomorrah, he did not judge the righteous with the wicked. When God was going to finally judge Jericho and collapse the walls, he did not judge the righteous with the wicked, but delivered Rahab, this amazing woman of faith. And so too, guys, when the seven-year tribulation, when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, he will not do so, and he will not include the, the, the righteous in the midst of that. And what's funny to me is that people will criticize us for believing in this deliverance from, from the tribulation period, even though, guys... It's clear, it's a principle throughout all of the scripture where God will separate the righteous before he pours out his wrath on the wicked. It's, it's throughout the Old Testament. And the principles are all through the New Testament. And yet, there's this criticism towards us who believe that. And people will say things like, you know what, you're, it's almost like we're, we're second class Christians, like they're elitist because they're all about, bring on the tribulation, you know, bring up, I'll get my head cut off for the Lord. It's like, I love your zeal, man, but, uh, I don't know that that's accurate. And they'll say things like, well, you know, you're just an escapist. Uh, You're just trying to avoid the tribulation, to which I'm like, amen. (laughs) That's exactly right. Uh, I I do not want to be in the tribulation period. I don't want to experience the wrath of God, nor should I, because I am his bride. I am his his son. Uh, And and they they say things like this. And it's, it's funny because... It's not merely wishful thinking on our part to believe this. It's not. I mean, maybe for some, if you're not studying your Bible, 
But it's biblical to think this way. In fact, Jesus told us to in Luke 21, verse 35, he says, For it, speaking of the tribulation period, it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray that you may be counted worthy to what? To escape all these things that will come to pass. And instead, what? To stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is like, this wrath is coming, and you should be an escapist. You should pray that you will escape this wrath, and as an alternative, stand before the Son of Man. That you would experience the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 1 speaks of this as well. By the way, First and Second Thessalonians are incredible books if you want to dive into eschatology, because Paul gets very specific about some things. But in chapter 1 of this, of this book, uh, it tells us, again, that we aren't to look for tribulation, but we are to look for the raptures of the church. Paul here, he's rejoicing as he's writing the Thessalonians. He's so excited about how well they responded to the word of God. He said, hey, the word of God came to you guys in power. It transformed you guys so much so that the word of God has gone forth from you to these other cities. Like Paul would show up to evangelize another city and the Thessalonians had already gotten there. And they had spread the word of God. Specifically, Paul says, this is the word that has sounded forth from you. He says that you guys have been saying to turn from idols, in verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So in other words, when the Thessalonians, they were like, okay, what is, what is like the, the crux of the message of the gospel that we need to preach as we go to towns? It was this, turn from your idols, because Jesus is coming back soon to deliver us from a coming wrath. That was, that was the word sounding forth from the Thessalonians that Paul taught them. It goes on in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 1. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. He says, you guys already know not to ask me when is it going to happen because nobody knows the day or the hour. He says, it comes like a thief in the night. Nobody expects it. And he says, for when who? When they say peace and safety. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. It goes on to say in verse 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So many evidences of the fact that God desires to keep the church from the day of wrath, from the day of tribulation. Even the church of Philippi in the book of Revelation, I'm sorry, the church of Philadelphia, Jesus says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is to come upon the whole earth. He didn't say, I will keep you through the hour of trial. He says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is to come. And so, guys, nobody up here is saying that you're not going to have tribulation in life if you're a Christian. The only preachers who are saying that are asking for your money, okay? That's clear. You know, I have a hundredfold blessing. And you won't have any troubles in your life if you follow my ministry. No, no, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that life will be just totally peachy if you follow Jesus. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. We've already experienced it. And the bad news, guys, we're going to experience more before the Lord comes back. There are hard times that we face in life. Jesus will get us through those hard times. I'm not saying you won't experience tribulation. The Bible's not saying that. 
The Bible's saying you won't experience the great tribulation. And for that, we can be very thankful that every believer who's put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ will be delivered from that hour of trial that is intended for the wicked. It's not intended for you, Christian. Every believer will be delivered. Yes, even if you're a Chiefs fan, you will be delivered. (laughs) I had to get it in there one more time. Just kidding. I kind of like the Chiefs, too. Uh, It's the day of our resurrection. It's the day of our completion. It's the day of our deliverance. And then lastly, it's the day of our heavenly entrance. Many of us are familiar with the passages in John 14, 15, 16, 17, where Jesus is spending his time, his last hours with his disciples, and he's pouring into them. And he's teaching them one last time, and he's praying for them before the Lord. And he explains to them that he's about to go away, and their hearts are sorrowful. I mean, this is it. This is their Messiah. What happened to conquering Rome and delivering them? And what happened to all their hopes and dreams that they had about heaven and the kingdom of the Lord? And he's like, no, I'm going away, but it's going to be better. And to comfort them, he says in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I kind of like that. I feel like it was almost like tongue in cheek for him. He's like, look, guys, I'm going to heaven and there are tons of rooms in heaven, like plenty of room. Hey, if there wasn't room in heaven, I would have told you. Like if the rooms were filled, if there if there were no vacancies, I'd have been like, move along, you know, just move on, go on to something else because the heaven's full. But no, that is not the case. There are many rooms. There's plenty of room for you. There's room for everyone in heaven. He goes on to say, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's interesting, right? That's interesting verbiage. He didn't say, I will come and you will receive me to yourselves, that where you are, I will be also. He says, no, I'm coming to get you and bring you to me. If you've ever done a study of the traditional Jewish wedding and what that looks like, it's an amazing parallel to what Jesus will do when he comes and receives his bride. But Jesus says, I will come. Comfort yourselves. I'm going to come. Don't, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm coming for you. Now, just to be clear... Those who have died in Christ don't have to wait for the rapture to go to heaven. Uh, Some people do teach this. They think that there's something called uh, spiritual sleep. Yeah, that that those who have died, they're just in this state of sleep or that they somehow travel through time to to eternity. The Bible doesn't teach this. If you look into it to see what the Bible has to say, Paul is really clear in 2 Corinthians when he says that it is better to be absent from your body and be present with the Lord. That instead of, a, of being stuck in that dead body or in some kind of state of sleep, that actually you're, you have an out-of-body experience whereby you're pre- you go straight into the presence of the Lord as a, belie- as a believer. As a believer. And there's actually been documented cases of this. It's really interesting where people have had these out-of-body experiences. There was one individual who uh, died on the operation table, and he said it was the weirdest thing. He said he floated up. He saw himself on the table. He floated up above the hospital. He said he saw these shoes. There's a, there's a whole book on this, this stuff, these accounts. Uh, I think Gary Habermas put some of this stuff together. Um, and he, as he came back down, they brought him back to life. He's like, I had this crazy experience. And he's like, there are these shoes up on, on the roof. 
And they went and they found the shoes on the roof and they verified it. That's just one example, but there is this experience that takes place. But for those who are alive for the rapture, we get to go, if, if we're that generation, we get to go straight to heaven without any absence from the body experience. It's like, bam, it just happens. It's going to be amazing. And going to heaven, guys, that truly is the best part of the rapture. Forever being with the Lord is the best part of the rapture, by far. Because this is when we get to be reunited with all the believers who have gone before us. All the heroes of the faith will get to meet them and see them. All of your loved ones who had Christ in their hearts. We get to see these people, this grand reunion. The Bible says about God's presence, it says that from his right hand flow pleasures forevermore. The, the God who created pleasure, who created you to feel pleasure, you'll be in his presence where pleasure flows forevermore. And I just want to say there is nothing, there is no pleasure this world offers you that will come close to what God can offer you in heaven. Don't ever trade heavenly pleasure for what the devil offers you here on earth. From his right hand flow pleasures forevermore. The Bible says that in the presence of God there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. I, We've had these, these seasons in life, these times in life, maybe these little glimmers of joy where your heart gets full and you're just like, man, I'm so grateful and thankful. But I've wondered like on a chart, if there was like, you know, a, a gas tank uh, where you could read the levels with all the joy I've experienced in life, how high has it actually gotten in comparison to heavenly joy? I'd venture to say it hasn't hit very high, even though I've had some amazing joy in my life. I have. But... The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy, overflowing. The gauge pops off and pops open. That's the joy that we have in the presence of the Lord. It's going to be incredible, guys. It's going to be amazing. The day is coming, guys. It's coming soon, and it's, it's greater than we could ever imagine. And so in closing, I just want to ask you, is this day your blessed hope? Have you put all your marbles in this day as far as, as, far as hope goes? Many of us acknowledge it is, yeah, yeah, I, I hope for that day, but, but we sometimes don't live like it. And if you want to know if your hope really is in this day, here's, here's a way you can tell, okay? Just look at how often you're disappointed. How frequent are you just upset and perplexed and let down? It might be an indication that your hope really isn't in the, the day of the Lord as much as you think it is, in the rapture as much as you think it is. It's been said that disappointment is an indication of misplaced hope. And it's so true. That we are often disappointed because we hoped in something that would, was never meant to satisfy or fulfill. A lot of people have reasonable expectations for people. And they put all their hope in this healthy relationship. And then, then, then it's dashed to pieces because they hoped in something that would eventually disappoint them. A lot of us struggle with... Uh, you know, parental disappointment. So many people have mommy issues and daddy issues. It's like your mom was a human, a sinner and a human being who struggled with issues. Your dad is a sinner and a human being who struggles with issues. Maybe we should uh, dial down our expectations. My daughter's in here. I'm not actually saying this to you, sweetie. It's like, would you lay off, Adeline? Okay, just lower your expectations. But it's true. If if we if we lower our expectations. Um, for relationships on people and just realize only Christ is going to satisfy us ultimately. We won't be as disappointed in life. There is no relationship that will fulfill you. There is no achievement in your life 
that will, that will fulfill you. There is no possession that you could acquire in this world that will satisfy you. And, and can I say it? There is no such thing as an America that will finally be perfect and satisfy us. And that's not to say we don't engage in American you know, politics and, and be a part of, take ownership of the country we've been placed in. But uh, that is to say that, guys, America will never be the perfect nation that we hope it will be because it's not Jesus' kingdom. It's not heaven. You know, hopefully it'll be a, a taste of it. That's what we desire, that it would be a picture of the kingdom of heaven, but it's not. You know, so uh, Jesus will never fail you. Heaven will never disappoint you. And that is why it's so foolish for us to put our hope in anything other than that, in, in anything else. First Peter tells us in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, fully put your hope in this day. Fully put your hope on the rapture, and you will not be disappointed. That day that you get to be before the Lord, and you will not be disappointed. Put all of your marbles in this event, and all the other events won't mess you up so bad, okay? That's what he's saying. Rest, rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So keep looking up, guys. The next time you read a headline of a tragedy or a disaster or of wickedness abounding, don't get stuck in anxiety and grief and disappointment. Choose to look up and be excited that you are one day closer to heaven. Realize your heart is just longing for home. We get sorrow because we're just longing for heaven, guys. But brush it off and realize there is something, there's still work to be done if we're still here. And we have an amazing hope to be excited about that should overshadow any disappointment, should overshadow any, any uh, uh, anxiety that we have during the times that we are seeing around us. Amen? Let's all stand and, and let's pray together. And Father, we do thank you that we have such a hope in you. We thank you that you've made it really clear, Lord God, that, that you love us, that you're coming for us. We thank you that there is a day where we will be complete, where we will be delivered, where we will be resurrected in glorified, immortal bodies. Lord, everything that this world offers us, what, what can compare to the hope of our, our resurrection day, to the hope of the blessed hope of your glorious appearing, Lord God? So we look to it this morning. I pray for the believers who struggle uh, with, with uh, disappointments, Lord God, that they would find comfort, that they would take heart in this reminder this morning. And I pray for those who perhaps don't know you, Lord God, who are in here or who are listening to the message, that they would have the wisdom to receive the blessed hope. And if with every eye closed, every head bowed, if that's you, if you're listening to this message and you're in a place where you're just wrought with disappointment, you are discouraged, you don't have true hope in this world. Well, the hope of Christ is being extended to you this moment. This isn't the, the plea of a pastor. This is, this is the hand of God reaching out to you, offering you the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the hope of salvation. And I encourage you to take it. Don't put it off like so many people are tempted to do. I'll tell you, the Bible does nowhere does it say tomorrow is the day of salvation. It says today is the day of salvation. And if God is working in your hearts, do not harden your heart, the Bible says. Listen, this could be the last time you feel the Holy Spirit working in you like this. Don't reject it. Don't turn away from it. Don't put it off. I'll tell you that when the floods came, there were many who desired to be on the ark of, on Noah's ark 
but it was too late. The door had shut. They could not get on. There were many people in Sodom and Gomorrah who wished they could be on the hills outside of that city, but it was too late. The judgment had come. The Bible says, how can you be saved if you neglect so great a salvation? How will you escape if you neglect it? This is it. This is the one exit plan, guys. There is only one name under heaven by which we can be saved, and it is the name of Jesus. And if you have not cried out to Jesus yet, you have to do it sooner than later. It is the only hope of eternal life. And it is the only hope of deliverance from the tribulation. The good news for you is that Jesus is reaching out right now. Jesus is extending his hand. The ark is still here. The door is still open. Because God is not slack concerning his promise to return. He's patient. He doesn't want any to perish. But that all would come to repentance. And so if you would like to receive Jesus, if you'd like to turn away from your ungodly life and turn to Jesus to be safe on his ark, I'm going to ask you to do something really simple. If this doesn't save you, but this is, a, this is important because you need a point of faith. Whereby the faith that you have in your heart actually affects your body. That you act upon it. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is simply raise your hand right where you're at. Nobody's looking around for you, just me. Amen. God bless you. Simply raise your hand if you want to receive the Lord Jesus today. And say, I want to live for you, Lord. I want to be uh, in, your, in your presence when you come. I want to be your child. I want to live for you. If that's you, just raise your hand. I won't linger here long. And if, if you're listening online to this, the live stream or uh, the teaching down the road, God is right there with you in that room, in that car. He's, he's right there present with you. You can call out to him as you hear this message. Receive Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to lead those in a prayer who believe the Lord. Uh, this prayer doesn't save you. But what it does is this communicates what a saved heart will say to the Lord. And so I want you to repeat this prayer after me if you mean it. And church, let's go ahead and pray it with them, okay? Let's say, Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned. But I know that my sin has separated me from you. But I also know that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn away from my sin that I can live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's celebrate those who have given their lives to the Lord. Yeah. It's awesome.